Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Pittsburgh Steeler fans, it is time once again for another episode of Here We Go, the Steeler Show. I am Brian Anthony Davis. I am the podcast producer from BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. But for this show, I'm just the guy with the questions because the man with the answers, the man with the plan, and Man with a Plan starring Matt LeBlanc is a show based in Pittsburgh and they're Steeler fans. But that's not who I'm talking about. Better than Matt LeBlanc, better than Joey from Friends. It's K.T. Smith, the coach of Ocean City High School in New Jersey. Coach, what's going on? Hey, Bri. Uh, what's going on? Three weeks from tonight. Three weeks from tonight is the big night. That's what's going on. So I'm starting to, I'm starting to get a little draft fever. You know, I'll I, tell I, you what. I try, not, I try not to get too excited too early because free agency was really fun. And uh, I, you know, I, I, sometimes you get a little burned out if you, if you dive into the draft too early, but I really feel, you know, the anticipation right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm feeling it as well. And it's, it's such a great feeling knowing that the draft's coming up for me. And I know you are too. I'm a big Christmas fan. I mean, it doesn't matter how old I am. I enjoy just to go through all the Christmas stuff with my kids, with my family, just the uh, everything, just uh, having the only lights in the living room be from the, uh, the tree. I love that kind of stuff. And that's kind of what the, the draft week is for me. I just love the draft more than anything, Kevin. 
Yeah, it's a good analogy, uh, Christmas. And it's, uh, it, it's one of those things where we're all optimists right now. I think it would take maybe the, the most hardened pessimists among us to not feel optimistic when you, when you think about the draft. And, and really, there's few better feelings uh, as, a, as a human being than optimism. When you're, when you're really looking forward to something and excited about it and, 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 they, and you think it'll work out because – because the Steelers uh, have been pretty good in the draft. And so you have a, have a pretty good sense they're going to get some impact players. You know what? There are so many great draft moments, and that's something I want to talk about here. But I want to make a pledge. And everybody's been talking about the quarterbacks lately. We've talked about it on the show as well. I think the quarterback thing has been done to death. I think if we go ahead and sum up the quarterbacks in two sentences, it would be, Take one if you could get one, but don't trade up to get one. Don't give up draft capital. Would you agree with that? Yes, and and I'm in, I'm probably one of the few people who does not believe that the Steelers will take a quarterback high. I I just I don't think they will. I think that there's lots of talent that's going to be available th- uh, at positions that the Steelers can really use an infusion of talent or or a young player. And I think that in every draft, the quarterbacks go early. And, and, and even though they're, they're said, it's said to be a weak class, that won't stop teams from, from making a move uh, early on in the draft. You look at like what New Orleans just did, trading with the Eagles to get up ahead of the Steelers. You know that they're really seriously considering quarterbacks and plenty of teams that have quarterback needs. So I think that in order to get one of the ones that they really want, the Steelers would have to trade up. And I just don't think they're going to do that. Kevin, you don't make that deal without going to get a quarterback. You don't, you don't mortgage without looking for your next franchise guy. And that's exactly what New Orleans are doing. You've got a lot of buddies that are Philadelphia Eagle fans. They've got to be beside themselves with, with almost like excitement and laughter for the coup that they, Howie Roseman just pulled off up in Philadelphia. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, if you, if you ever want in a, an entertaining five minutes of your life, ask, ask Eagles fans to talk about Howie Roseman. They either, he's either the dumbest person on the planet and they hate him with a passion usually reserved for like genocidal dictators, or he's a genius. Uh, he's one of the smartest football minds around. Uh, so you're going to get a great debate is to put two Eagles fans who have differing views on Harry Roseman together and, and watch him go at it. But with the deal that they, that they just made, I mean, really it's very, very smart. What they've done is they've, they've, they've bought themselves another year of Jalen hurts to find out if he's the real deal or not. And if he's going to be their franchise guy, but if he's not, they've now acquired the capital to go all the way up to the top of the draft and get, you know, Bryce Young or, or CJ Stroud or, or one of those elite quarterbacks that's going to come out of next year's class, which is a lot stronger than this one. And you got to think that it's going to be an off year for the New Orleans Saints as well. And so they're they're thinking that way. Now, that backfired for the Miami Dolphins when they thought, oh, hey, we're getting better offers, but we'll probably get a top five pick if we trade Minka Fitzpatrick to the Steelers. And that blew up in their face. That didn't happen. But the thing that I love about this that I don't know if a lot of people are looking at you can't really it's really tough in this day of an age to have three draft picks three number one picks and turn around and keep them all 
for five years because they're all coming up for contract at the same time. You know, you get that extra year of these guys, but three's too many. But having three is great when you could turn them in to another number one next year. And they got some number twos. Man, I feel like they fleeced the Saints, and I think it's beautiful. Me too. And, and I, I'm, I'm curious about who the Saints really are, have in mind. Mike Tomlin has made no secret of how enamored he is with uh, Malik Willis. And so you have to think, well, if Willis is sitting there at 20, that's a scenario where I absolutely think that the Steelers will, will pick a quarterback. They will pick him at 20. And New Orleans must know that. So in my, in my mind, I think to myself, well, who do they really have in mind? And it's got to be Willis because I think you can – I think New Orleans probably could have sat where they were and had a pretty good shot at Desmond Ritter. And I don't know – you know, I don't know if Sam Howell is a guy that they would have taken that, you know, up in the teens. So Willis must be their guy. Yeah, I, I feel that way as well. So one thing I want to do is we're going to talk about the draft. And we're going to talk about favorite draft memories, but let's get to the title of the show first. And let's go ahead and talk about the Pittsburgh Steelers and what they have to do in this draft. If you look at one area of the draft, which is the biggest must of musts. And we're going to tell you right now, it's not quarterback. Kevin, what's your thoughts here? I think there's good news and there's bad news. I think there's two areas where they really have to acquire an impact player. Uh, I think one is the wide receiver position, and that's a that's strong in the draft. And the other one is the cornerback position, which may not be quite as as much of a need because they do have three starter quality players in Akella Weatherspoon and Levi Wallace and Cam Sutton, but they sure could use a guy who, who could be slotted as a potential number one corner because none of those guys really qualify. So those are the two spots that they really need to emphasize with wide receiver being the most pressing. I agree with you to an extent. I think those are the two number one positions. I'd rather have a definitive number one at corner right now because the way the Steelers operate, they have a very nice three-headed monster right now at wide receiver that they can do very well with and but they have to address that position they have to address it in the draft the Steelers have great history of addressing it in the draft and the last couple years in the last 10-15 years they have uh, gone wide receiver a number of times one of the uh, one of the most amazing ones was when you go ahead and pick in the third round get a guy from smu named emmanuel sanders and he ends up not being nearly as great as one antonio brown in the sixth round in 2010 just an amazing haul for them but they brought in martavis bryant injury archer in the same draft in 2014 in 2013 they brought in Marcus Wheaton and Justin Brown in the same draft. I fully expect them to go with two wide receivers this time around as well. Um, the reason I am saying, though, that I feel that they can get away with not going with a number one pick at wide receiver is just because they're in a situation where you have Deontay Johnson, who is a pro bowler, thousand yard guy. You have Chase Claypool that's ready to break out, that has all the potential to do 
so. And you've got another guy that has proven that he's pretty damn good catching the ball from Mitch Trubisky, and that's Anthony Miller. And a lot of people want to forget about Anthony Miller. So when we talk about those three guys, who are you most excited about, or are you excited the same with all three of them? Well, Miller's the guy I'm most excited about simply because he's an unknown, and and I really would like to see what we have in Anthony Miller. I've done a lot of film breakdown of Trubisky, and Anthony Miller shows up a lot in those film breakdowns. And he's a smart slot receiver. And two things that I really like about his game are he's very good with releases off the line against press coverage. Uh, one, one way you slow down a slot receiver is to, to walk a bigger guy up in his face and try to delay his release. And Miller's got good hands. The line of scrimmage really knows how to get, get the hands of a defender off him. And he's got good spatial awareness. He, he doesn't run himself into coverage. He, he un- understands uh, how to find a hole in the zone where to settle down. Um, so those are, those are things that are exciting and, and, and make you think like, hey, this is a guy who can really play in the slot. Obviously, the, the big tease of that three to me is, is Claypool because I just don't think we've seen his talent unleashed. Um, I, I, I feel like with, with Ben Roethlisberger the last two years, Claypool's route tree was really diminished it was more of a, a, a route shrub, I think, than a, than a route tree. I mean, he ran he ran quick wide receiver screens where they kind of threw, you know, now balls where they just snapped it and whipped it out to him. And he ran go routes. And he didn't run a lot of in between. And I think he's a guy who's a lot more capable than that. So it'll be interesting to see how his game evolves uh, with, a, with a, you know, new Canada offense with Trubisky at quarterback. Now, let me ask you this, and we're going to keep Anthony Miller out of this because he has had no experience with Ben Roethlisberger, but which one of these two receivers have more of an upside now that Ben is no longer the quarterback? Who benefits more? Well, uh, Jeffrey Benedict shared an interesting stat with us on, on our Slack channel the other day, which looked at Deontay Johnson's statistics on deep balls from Mason Rudolph versus from Ben Roethlisberger. And surprisingly, his stats on deep balls from Mason Rudolph were much better than from Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, it wasn't even close. It wasn't a little bit better. It was, it was much better. So in that sense, you have to ask the question, does, did, did Ben Roethlisberger's inability to really push the ball down the field in the last couple of years of his career hurt Deontay Johnson's production? And that'll be the thing that's really interesting to see. I mean, can Johnson take off uh, with a different quarterback? But that's a catch-22, and that, and that, that really kind of leads me to the points I, w- I was going to make about why the Steelers really need to get the wide receiver position right in this draft. And that's because Johnson's entering his contract year. And so when we look at – well, he's, looking, he's entering his extension year, I should say. And, and when we look at uh, – the market for wide receivers, it's crazy right now. Uh, SpotTrack just just evaluated Johnson's contract extension at four years and $88 million. And so you ask yourself, has Deontay Johnson, does he strike you as a guy who's worth $22 million a year? And the answer has been no to me. I mean, it, that's but that's what the market value is. Again, you look at like the contracts that are being handed out to these wide receivers, it's it's mind-boggling. The contract Christian Kirk got blew my mind. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and Johnson's production is way better than Christian Kirk's. 
So if Johnson does have a stellar year with Trubisky at quarterback, that's great for now. But what does that mean for his contract extension? Are we now looking at a guy who's going to be commanding $30 million a year for Deontay Johnson? You know, so if he if he walks, if the Steelers wind up a year from now deciding they're not going to pay him and he walks, you need a young guy to be able to, to you know, take his place. And that's why this draft is so important. Do you think that the Steelers might be compelled to have to pay him if he becomes a 1500 yard, 12 touchdown receiver? Probably that because, again, what is the alternative? The alternative is. Claypool essentially becomes your number one and he has certainly not demonstrated that, that he's worthy of that status yet. And that's, that, you know, that's not a credit. I'm not, I'm not taking shots at, at the kid. He's a second year player. Who's not been in an ideal situation at all. And, you know, he struggled with some, just some immaturity issues and some things that, you know, sort of some issues uh, that deal with professionalism and hopefully uh, he'll grow up a little bit and he'll get he'll get some better coaching. I think Frisman Jackson is going to be a demanding coach who knows how to get the most out of a player. When you look at what he did with some of the receivers in Carolina, I think he's going to be great for Chase Claypool. So maybe Claypool can elevate himself into that number one status. But then you've got behind, you know, if Johnson's going to walk, you've got Miller and not much else, you know, whatever we acquire in, in this draft. And so there is a, ser- a serious question there about like, will the Steelers have to pay and even potentially overpay to keep Johnson in the fold? Well, once again, I agree that they do need to bring in two young receivers in this draft. I, I actually feel like they need to, and I could really envision that happening, but what does the presence of Pat Fryermuth do? Does he put the Steelers in a position where they don't have to be desperate at wide receiver? Right. Yeah, that's a great point. That's the the wild card. And the thing that I think makes the Steelers feel pretty comfortable with their top three, with Miller being that third guy, because this is not going to be the same offense that we've seen for the past several years. This is not going to be an offense that runs 70 to 75 percent of its plays out of 11 personnel with three wide receivers on the field. There's going to be a lot of double tight stuff. And Fryermuth showed last year that he has the potential to be a top five tight end in this league. Uh, he showed that he can be a big slot. Uh, Juju Smith-Schuster last year averaged a little over eight yards a catch. Uh, if the Steelers are going to use a slot in that role, Fryermuth can do those things. He, he's, a, he's a matchup problem for linebackers and strong safeties. But the real key is the elevation in Zach Gentry's game, the fact that Gentry was able to come in and lock down those inline tight end blocking duties and do those, do that dirty work uh, in the, in the run game. And then, you know, be still be a reasonable receiver as a, an outlet guy and a guy who catches balls in the flat. And now you got to try and tackle a six, eight, 265 pound dude. Um, you're going to see a lot of two tight end sets in Pittsburgh this year, which as you suggested, alleviates the need to be real deep at receiver. Now, I'm going to ask you one more question before we go to break, and we're going to continue this conversation. But we talk about how the offensive line is going to benefit Najee Harris in a great way. We talk about how having Mitch Trubisky and a revamped offensive line is going to help Najee Harris out in a great way. We talked about who benefits more from Ben Roethlisberger's retirement and you mentioned that was Deontay Johnson. Who benefits more 
from the revamped offensive line. Is it Chase Claypool? Because I kind of think it is. So with Claypool, are you suggesting that now he'll be able to run a little bit more of an advanced route tree because as a deep ball guy, his routes take a little bit longer to develop? I mean, is that what you see with the, with the line being able to offer a little bit better pass protection and the ball not having to come out as fast? That's absolutely my theory. That's where I'm going with this. Yeah, I think that that's uh, I think that's spot on. The, the other thing that'll benefit Claypool will be pocket movement, because you you know you'll see Trubisky move out of the pocket a lot more, and and those allow for longer developing routes too, especially on the backside. One of the big trends in the NFL right now, and we saw Green Bay do this a lot. Uh, Matt Lafleur and kind of the the guys that that coached in and around the floor uh, have have started to do. Um, have started to build out of their pocket movement game, like their boot and rollout game, which we'll see a lot of with Trubisky in Canada. Uh, front, front side routes that are sort of traditional layered routes. There'll be a, a short route, a, an intermediate route, and a deeper route. And that's, you know, that's kind of how everybody structures their, their, their sprint out rollout game. But on the backside, they're starting to build in longer developing routes that don't serve as just filler i mean usually when when the team sprints out in one direction they eliminate the backside of the field as a as a, a receiving target but but now they're starting to build in these deeper backside routes deep dig routes deep post routes and so that quarterbacks who half roll if they don't like some of the early progression looks they can kind of pull up and now target that deep backside route and that's an area where i think claypool can be really useful because he's got long speed he's not quick he's got long speed and he's got incredible leaping ability. So now you get Claypool working on a deep backside dig or a deep backside post uh, with a, a, against a, co- a smaller corner who's got you know backside leverage. It's a tremendous opportunity to sort of throw the ball up and let him go get it. So there's lots of things I think that he can benefit from with our revamped offense. All right. This is Brian Anthony Davis along with KC Smith. It used to be KT Smith, but the Thatcher is gone and that middle name is now Clinic. Kevin Clinic Smith, because he's definitely putting one on right now regarding the Pittsburgh Steelers and the draft. And we are going to talk more to KC when we come back right after this. And we're going to compare the 2022 wide receivers to the 2002. Let's go back 20 years here on Here We Go, the Steelers Show. SteelCurtain.com. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. With me, as always, is Kevin Smith. I was just joking that it's KC, but no, it really is KT. We can't take that legendary name away from him. But the reason KC is because he's putting on a clinic tonight, and you definitely don't want to miss the first half. If you already did, go back and check it out. Really good stuff. Kevin, you just talked about how Chase Claypool can benefit. And it's me when I'm just throwing out, hey, this is why I think Chase Claypool can benefit because the quarterback is going to have more time. And then 
I throw that out to you and you just run with it and just you're like the Kool-Aid man smashing through a brick wall and just uh, completely breaking everything down. So I absolutely love it. So with that being said, what we're going to do now is we're going to talk about 2002. Yes, I know we're getting ready for the 2022 season, but something very interesting happened in 2002. Tommy Maddox became the quarterback after the actually after two and a half games. So after that third game, when the Steelers were about to go 0 and 3, and he came in and saved the day against Cleveland and pretty much ending Cordell Stewart's Pittsburgh Steeler quarterback career. And you would say that Tommy Maddox is kind of a good comparison right now to Mitch Trubisky. And just for the fact he was a number one pick, he was out of UCLA, but a number one pick in the 1992 NFL draft. And what happened was, well, he just didn't shine. He was actually selling insurance and he did not make it work in Denver. In fact, uh, the next Denver Bronco quarterback was not Tommy Maddox says they kept with good old John Elway. And he brought five, six years later after that draft, they started bringing home their first titles. So the guy that was supposed to do it, couldn't do it. Mitch Trubisky was a guy that the bears traded up from number three to number two, gave away some draft capital for had big, big dreams of this guy. And he did not work out in that system. We've all talked about how we think he's going to work out in this system. But one thing that Tommy Maddox was able to do for the 2002 Pittsburgh Steelers was elevate the game of Plexico Burris and Heinz Ward. Now, remember, Heinz Ward was a third round draft choice. I believe that he was the second third round draft choice in 1998. And what happened with Heinz Ward is they didn't think enough of Heinz Ward. So they drafted in 1999, Troy Edwards, wide receiver, Louisiana Tech. Then they draft the next year at number eight, wide receiver out of Michigan State, Plexico Burris, when they had their star there all along. So can this be a situation where you have Plexico Burris and Heinz Ward both having close to 100 catches and over 1,000 yards, and they were so close in their stats, Kevin? I don't think so. I don't think that that's what we're going to see from this offense. One of the things when you think back to that Tommy Gunn offense was the Steelers did not have a great running game at that time. And they really, because they sort of built the offense with uh, Stewart around run the ball, uh, use play action. Um, you know, he, he struggled to, to throw a, a traditional passing game when they got Maddox, they, you know, they felt compelled to sort of like rebuild the offense and Maddox was able to do so many things that Stewart couldn't do. And they really started to throw the football. I just remember, I, I wish there'd been like a BTSC back in 2002 because all my friends who were Steeler fans were like, what are they doing? This is not the Steelers football that I'm used to. They're throwing the ball all over the darn place. They were so mad that the Steelers weren't hammering the football away uh, the way that they, they had done through most of the nineties. Uh, but I think the 2022 offense is going to look a lot different because it's going to be a Najee Harris centered offense. You're going to have uh, Pat Fryermuth take on a much bigger role in the passing game. So I think just 
because of the other options available, you won't see huge numbers from the wide receivers. The thing that I, I'm going to be really interested in is when you, when you think back to Deontay Johnson, there's no question that he was Ben Roethlisberger's favorite target. The targets that Johnson received versus anybody else over the last two years are, are so imbalanced. Roethlisberger really, I don't want to say forced the ball to Johnson, but that was the guy he was looking for. And it'll be very interesting to see if, if that continues to play out uh, under Canada slash Trubisky, because I, I don't think it will. I think the ball is going to be spread around more. And like we just said, the tight end's going to take on a bigger role and they're going to run the ball. Speaking of Trubisky, you loved the signing when it started. You were very enthused with it. Um, you had a lot to say about why this could benefit the team. And you mentioned that there were a whole lot more pros than cons. Now, when you got the news late last week, early this week, that Mitch Trubisky was inviting the wide receivers and the tight ends to his home for workouts, how did that elevate things for you even more? Uh, that's tremendous, right? Well, I did, did you love that, right? Oh my gosh, I was I was late. I mean, this is a man that's saying, look. I don't care what you're saying that I'm just a ho, a ho hum signing. I'm, this is my team and I'm leading it and I'm going to, uh, we are going to gel before camp. Yeah. When you're the quarterback of any team, whether it's high school, college or the NFL, you have to be able to step into a huddle and command a group of young men or grown ass men, like in the NFL, either way. But you, but you have to unquestionably be the guy. And th in order to do that, you have to win their trust. Uh, and you can, win, you can win somebody's trust in a lot of ways. Ben Roethlisberger won the trust of a very, very veteran offense when he took over. If you remember, that offense was comprised of a lot of veterans. Yeah, you remember this, what Alan Fanica said. Yeah, yeah. Here's the, here, right, here's this 20, was he what, 21, 22, 22, yeah. I think. 22-year-old kid, yes, yeah, stepping into the huddle. Uh, but he he earned their trust because of just how tough he was and and how willing he was to do whatever it took to win football games. Now, of course, when you start your career, 15, you know, that'll earn you a lot of a lot of friends, you know, a lot of loyalty. Uh, but I mean, there's a lot of ways to do it. And I, and I think one of the ways to do it is essentially to say to your teammates, uh, hey, man, I'm you know, I'm willing to do whatever it takes for us to get on the same page for us to to click and work together. Uh, I'm willing to do it. So. If I got to throw my, my doors open to you, invite you down, serve you a bunch of steaks, you know, feed you a bunch of beers and, uh, and then we'll work all day on our craft. I mean, I think that that's a really smart move on his part and one that will go a long way with his teammates. I, once again, absolutely elated. Now, I'm not changing the subject, but I'm going to veer off on a little bit of a tangent first. Kevin, I've been watching a show on HBO Max that I'm absolutely in love with right now. And it's called Winning Time. And it's the story of the Los Angeles Lakers when Jerry Buss bought the team. They brought in Magic Johnson with the, the first pick. So they bring him in. And then you have the old guard, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And at first, everybody hated the rookie's enthusiasm. And he clashed with Kareem at first in the show. But you can see with the enthusiasm of Magic Johnson going to who he would call Cap and going to Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and, you know, continuing trying to 
when this grumpy quarterback uh, quarterback of their team who was the center but the this grumpster over and he chipped away at it and he won it and you, you know how many titles they won together so it makes me think of what you're talking about with having a guy like Mitch Trubisky in here but my question is you know Magic Johnson was 20 at the time Kareem was in his mid 30s and or early to mid 30s he was the grizzled veteran do you think that with the young guys that the Steelers have right now, Najee Harris included, the uh, young receivers, do you feel that they are going to mesh better with a 27-year-old than they did with a 39-year-old last year? First of all, I, I've, I've watched every episode of Winning Time. It's fantastic, fantastic. And uh, the, the scene you were just or, – or the scenario you were just talking about with Magic and, and Kareem, the scene – where they uh, get together in the trainer's room and pretty much get into a fight. Uh, that's some, sometimes that stuff is necessary in order to, in order to uh, create an, you know, let, for a younger guy to be basically to say to the older guy that like, look, I'll, I'll defer to you. And in, in some regards, I, I respect you, but I'm your teammate. And, and I'm not, you know, I'm, I want to win just as much as you do. And if I don't think you're doing the right thing, I'm going to call you out on it. And, and that kind of stuff needs to happen, you know, and, and we, we've seen Ben Roethlisberger do that with some of the younger guys over the years. Uh, he did it last year with, uh, with Chase Claypool. So to be a leader, you got to be able to do those things. But to answer your, your, your question, I do think that there's an opportunity here for the Steelers, younger receivers to relate a little bit better to Trubisky. And I don't know if it's necessarily an, an age thing. I mean, there, there could be, there's going to be some of that. They're, they're closer in age. They'll, They'll have a little more things in common, but I think more so it's going to be an issue of how they've been trained. Trubisky's been trained to play the game similarly to how a lot of these receivers have been played, trained. Uh, They've all been brought up on RPOs. They're all brought up on pocket movement. The game is not the same anymore as it was when Ben Roethlisberger was, was coming up. It's a, it's a, a a very, very different offense all the way down to the terminology. Uh, I mean, I, I was watching something not that long ago where they were talking about, uh, the, the length of the play calls in, in some of the offenses in the 1990s. And it was incredible. Uh, they, were, they, were, they were 13, 14 words long in order to, to denote everything, formation and motion and, uh, you know, all the different variables, et cetera. Uh, one of the big trends in football now, and, and I guarantee Trubisky, because I know he played in an up-tempo, no-huddle offense at North Carolina, one of the big things now is just one-word play calls. You have one word, like Maverick, you know, that might be Dallas if it's going to the left and Mavericks if it's going to the right. And, and it encompasses everything. Everything's in there. The blocking scheme, uh, the formation, the route combinations, what, what everybody's doing is in Maverick, you know, and, and everybody has to know, like, we go Maverick, this is exactly what I, what, what I run. And that's something that a guy like Roethlisberger never would have experienced, but I guarantee all these young guys have gone through that kind of stuff and, and they're just more comfortable with it. So so I think there's a great opportunity there as far as guys really being on the same page in terms of how they've been trained with Trubisky that didn't exist with Roethlisberger. Absolutely. I, I love that. And thank you so much for uh, bringing that up as well. Now we're talking about drafting wide receivers. We don't have much time left on the show. Who do you think is ideal? Who is your number one guy? It does not have to be in the first round. It could be in the second round, but I'm going to throw out this. If a guy that was injured without Achilles, like Jamison Williams, 
from Alabama is available, do they just knock people over and run it up to the podium? He'd be he'd be a pretty good uh, or a pretty tough guy to pass up, despite the fact that he's got the injury issue. Uh, I you know he's such a smooth uh, and polished receiver, and he would be amazing in the slot. Uh, I think Chris Olave from Ohio State. If they're again another guy, if they're thinking about the first round, is a guy that probably uh, would would sort of fit in that same in that same mold. I don't really think they'll take a for a receiver in the first round. I, they they've shown over the last seven eight drafts that they're very comfortable finding guys in the second and third rounds. I would I would really think that maybe the second round now is is a, an area that the Steelers will zone in on and. Uh, a guy who's received a lot of attention around around BTSC is Sky Moore from Western Michigan, who is a, a really good, uh, you know, guy who can play inside and outside. I mean, I, I love like Sky Moore was a he was a, an option quarterback in high school. And I love those receivers who who have have some experience at quarterback because they really understand the entire concept of the offense. They understand where they're supposed to be and everybody's supposed to be. And they understand how their route fits in with everybody else's routes to be able to sort of see, have a big picture understanding of how everything works is so beneficial. So he's a tempting guy. Cause I think that he's very, very uh, polished and smart player, but uh, you know, the guy, if I just throw one more name out there real quick, the guy who's really intriguing too is, is Christian Watson from North Dakota state. Who's, who's big. He's six, four, about 210 pounds. And uh, you know, he's strong and, uh, he ran a four, three, something at the combine. And uh, he just has a lot of those Claypool type attributes. He's not, he's not as thick as Claypool, but uh, he's a guy that I think that, um, you know, the Steelers would not hesitate to, to take because of, of his, his ceiling. I think he's got a really high ceiling. So those are just two names. I think that we can look for in the second round. Absolutely. Fantastic. I love those names as well. And I'm, I am very comfortable. Let me ask you this one last question before we get on out of here your favorite draft moment, and it cannot be 2004 and Ben Roethlisberger. Uh, so I don't remember the year, but it might have been the very next year. When did we draft Santonio Holmes? Was it 2006, the next two years okay, later. Okay, 2006. So in 2006, uh, I, had, I had driven my parents to the airport in Philadelphia because they were flying somewhere, probably to Arizona. Um, and, the, and I was driving home and the Steelers were picking somewhere in the 20, late 20s. Um, and 25. So I said, All right, cool. Actually, no, no. They just won the Super Bowl, so they were picking 32. Oh, okay. Oh, so there you go. All right, so I think they wound up picking Holmes at 25. Yes. But, yeah, so they're picking at the end of the first round. And, and I'm, like, 15 minutes from my house, and I'm, like, cool, I'm going to make it because they're on, like, you know, 24. So, all right, I'm going to get home, I'm going to get home. And I'm listening on the radio, and – they say on the radio, you know, the, 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 whoever, whoever it was traded with the Pittsburgh Steelers, the Steelers are now on the clock. And I was like, no, you know, I was like, I, I have to see this live. And so I, I immediately pulled off the exit uh, and, and uh, found a bar right there. I'd never been to this bar before. I just, I just <laughs> jammed it on, ran inside the bar. I just got inside as they were kind of bringing the, the card up to the podium. Uh, they announced it, you know, there's a couple other Steelers fans in there. We all high fived and I just, Walked out, got back in my car, and drove home. <laughs> that is absolutely amazing. I remember I was on the phone with my buddy, and we we were talking about, uh, you know, there's still seven picks away, and he's just 
mumbling on about stuff and i'm like chat 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 they just traded up they just traded up they're getting san antonio they just traded up so i remember doing that but i want to take you back to 1987 and young 10th grader brian anthony davis at richland high school had a migraine and the draft started at 7 a.m on a thursday morning back then and so my parents let me stay at home and I remember feeling a little bit better, but not great and going downstairs and I go downstairs and I put the draft on and I'm watching it. And I find out that they got Rod Woodson at number 10. I didn't know enough about him, but the way that these guys were acting like it was the coup of the century, I was just absolutely elated and loving it. So that was just a great moment for me. One of the first times. I watched the draft in full. Yeah, I, I uh, remember probably around that age. I think I'm a year older than you. Um, but but around that same time was when the draft started to become sort of a, an event, more yeah. so than a uh, just a just the thing you read about in the paper the next day. And, you know, what, one of these weeks and within the next couple of weeks, uh, I'll, I'll tell you about my the opportunity I had a couple of years ago to go to the draft when it was in Philadelphia. That was awesome. I went with my son and uh, that just is, you know, a bucket list thing. And what an experience it was, it. it was every, it was everything that you would think that it would be. And uh, it was pretty cool. And it was held right on the steps of the art museum with the Rocky statue there in Philly. And, you know, about a, what felt like a million people crammed all the way down the, the, the boulevard. So it was, it was a cool experience. Was that the Terrell Edmonds draft or was that the Devin Bush trade up? That I was the Devin, Devin Bush. Bush was, yeah. Oh, that was okay. That was Philly. All right. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. So uh, let's just say, was, let's just say that there was a, it was, <laughs> there was a, a reasonable amount of, uh, of alcohol consumed. And, uh, you know, it was the, it was a, a celebration of a, of a, of a night. I can imagine. And I was really bummed out because Washington, D.C., which I'm a little over an hour away from, was up in the top three for 2024 and it lost out to Kansas City and then to Detroit. So actually, no, Kansas City gets it next year. Then Detroit gets it in 2024. And I was bummed because I really even more than Pittsburgh. I mean, I'd love to see a draft in Pittsburgh, but Washington, D.C. for me, that's easy. Yeah. So I think with, it's a wonderful idea that they that they the NFL has now to move it around the country and let everybody share in that experience. Yeah, I'm glad the uh, Radio City Music Hall days are over, even though I, th- I thought that was quaint and cool. But I love the parties that they put on. And I, I think this is absolutely tremendous. I was going to go to Cleveland, but then COVID hit and then it just made stuff really tough. And you uh, might have experienced a little bit of it last year, but draft day when you're at BTSC and you're on staff, it's not as fun as it is for the days when I was just a fan. Let's put it that way. I love it. I still crave it. It's just like you're working more than you're watching the draft. hundred percent. Absolutely. All right. Yeah. I remember, I remember jumping on the, on a live chat right after the Najee pick last year with a whole bunch of us. That was, Oh fun. yeah. We, we had a blast and we're going to do draft night like crazy again this year. And because that's what we do. And it's funny. Somebody at SB nation said, I can't wait to see what you guys do for the draft. And so I'm like challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we will be your nonstop shop and your one-stop shop 
BTSC that is for all things Pittsburgh Steelers for the draft. But in the meantime, heading up to it, and even if it's just the middle of June and nothing's going on, we still have three original shows every single day. And it's something you do not want to miss. Also, if you read about the Steelers, you've got to get on the website behind the steel curtain.com. Kevin Smith writes some great stuff as well as everybody else from BTSC. Even you'll see me on weekends throwing in my two cents with some nonsense and fun, but I write as well. So what I got to say to you is check out the shows. If you missed the shows from yesterday and earlier on today, go ahead and check them out this morning. Let's ride with Jeff Hartman was an absolute dandy. You got to go check that out last night. The preview with Jeff Hartman, myself and Dave Schofield. And also what Ian's talking about with Greg Benevit and Kyle Christ, an absolute must listen to show. Have you, have you heard that show yet, Kevin? You know, I'm just, I'm so far behind on some of these that I have to start weighing in and you've recommended us several times. So I need to jump in on that. You're missing out. I'm, I'm telling you, you are missing out on some greatness. Uh, one of the great shows on BTSC, and I'm proud of every single one of them. So check out all those shows. Check out Kevin Smith. Any big articles coming up this weekend, my friend? So yeah, so this week we're gonna we're gonna look at uh, one drive, one one Mitchell Trubisky drive in Chicago, and uh, and what that tells us about what we can expect from him in Pittsburgh this year. All right, check it out, BTSC. We need you to do three things: be safe. Be true to yourself and always be behind the steel curtain. For Kevin Thatcher Smith, my name is Brian Anthony Davis. Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the hypocyclone.